Christian Conspiracy Coalition. Without faith, without belief in something, what are we? You know, the hardest thing is to listen, to hear his voice, God's voice. It's a leap of faith. I would rather stand with God and be judged by the world than stand with the world and be judged by God. G'day guys, welcome back. I've got something really exciting for you all. My very first round table. I'm starting something new over here and I hope it really takes off. The Christian Conspiracy Coalition. That's right, Triple C. I know what some of you guys are thinking. Oh man, Drew's gone born again. And I get it. I used to listen to shows all the time. And as soon as someone brought up the Christian talk, I rolled my eyes and I thought to myself, oh great, here's another Bible thumper. But it's really not like that, I assure you. Let's look at it from a different angle. Most of us who are conspiracy-minded believe that the parasite class, the elites, the people that rule this world, follow a very and evil satanic playbook. Well, if that's the case, why not get the other side of things? If the bad guys of the world believe that all this is true, maybe we should be paying attention to it also. Just a thought. If this isn't for you, I completely get it. I'm not here to preach or to convert anyone. I'm just offering a different perspective on these roundtables from some of the best conspiracy podcasters in the game who just so happen to be Christian themselves. After all, it's about discernment, right? Listening to other people, taking on board their views, processing it for yourself, and figuring out how it fits in with your your idea of how the world works and how it applies to your life and what you can take out of it. I have to give a special shout out to Matt from over at the Great Deception Podcast, who inspired me to run this platform. He's set the absolute benchmark for what a quality roundtable conversation is with Monday Night Master Debaters. If you haven't seen that or listened to that show, go give it a look. By far the best roundtable discussions on the internet. Furthermore, this gives me, a newly found Christian who identifies theologically and denominationally homeless, the chance to speak to other Christians and to hear their unique takes on conspiracy and faith. After all, I'm spoilt for choice in this world. There's thousands of denominations within Christianity, all who have a different and unique perspective on how this world operates. So whether you're a Christian, agnostic, or anything in between, I hope you get a real kick out of this. Challenge yourself. Give it a crack. This isn't your usual Sunday school, people. We're going to deep dive on some fringe theories, some out there stuff, and see how it ties into people's religious beliefs. Never know, you might learn a thing or two. Anyway, I hope you like this first, very first episode of the Christian Conspiracy Coalition. Enjoy. Welcome to a very special roundtable event, what I hope will become the first of many to come. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Christian Conspiracy Coalition, a place where the best minds in the conspiracy realm gather together to share and discuss their faith, Christianity, and the spiritual war thrust upon humanity. Let us welcome tonight's panel, Josh from Josh Monday Christian and Conspiracy Podcast, and two of my favorite blokes in the world, the Operation Red Pill Gents, Jason and Christopher, welcome. Thanks for having us. No problem at hey, all. Thanks, man. It's we do have here. a couple of other guests who are hoping to jump on. So if they do jump in, you know, I don't think we'll really have to introduce them. They are big names. We are hoping that Catalyst Jones from the White Rabbit podcast and Julia from the Cosmic Peach will jump on very soon. But here we are, chat fellas. Let's let's get started. What's all this going to be about? We uh we had a bit of a chat going where you know I've been on a couple of your shows and vice versa. And you guys are some of the, the biggest names out there, I think, at the moment that are not only conspiracy theory podcasters, people are spitting truth, dropping hammers, 
but you're Christians as well. You're putting things through the Christian perspective and you're not afraid to discuss that. I think at the moment there's really a, there's a bit of a divide where people are afraid to discuss their faith or their ideologies in this sphere. So, you know, let's break it into the mainstream. Let's get this going. Yeah. I, I think that people are, some people are afraid to, to, to share their faith, you know, but the thing is we got to shout it off the rooftops. You know what I mean? We got to make sure. And, and especially in this conspiracy uh, realm that we're in, we have people that are getting deceived. What happens is there's people like uh, Jordan Maxwell or Santos Panacci and, and their bait is these conspiracies and, and they're really good at breaking them down. But what happens is they take their, these people in and their bait is a conspiracy. And as soon as they get you, then they show you that, well, the Bible's not real either. And they try to mess up your mind, you know, try, tell you that the, the sun, the S-U-N is the S-O-N and all this stuff. So I think it's very important, vastly important to have people like us in the industry um, using the, the the conspiracy as bait. But when we bring you in, we have an answer, you know what I mean? Because there's rabbit holes you can travel down all day long, but you never find the answer unless you find it in the Bible, you know? So I believe it's important for us to have uh, the Bible as our our foundation. And then when we go into conspiracies, we're in a lot better position because we're not going to be we're not going to be deceived because we know the answer you know is Jesus Christ we know that God uh and the God of the Bible is the one true creator and when you have that and you go into this conspiracy world now you're just exposing evil but you have an answer you know you know it's God versus the devil and everything we do a lot of people that I'm listening to that have that do conspiracy shows and no offense to them because they do amazing job and amazing research and I and my brothers that are doing this stuff, it's awesome, but they don't ever have an answer. All they have is just a conspiracy. They bring you down the rabbit hole as far as it'll go, and then it stops. But if you go with one of us, we're going to take you down that rabbit hole, and we're going to show you that the, the answer is in the Bible. It's sitting on your nightstand. The answer is Jesus Christ, and it is the Bible. And and you're going to find out that it, all these conspiracies, like I said, it's God versus the devil, right? And and it's and it really is It's important to have people that are like us to to be here. And all we are is just a vessel. It's all glory to God, though. You know, we're not trying to say, oh, we're something special or anything, you know. Right. And it's really interesting. I've noticed that a lot of places that people will actually use the Bible and as kind of a a mock answer. Because there's a it's been really bizarre, because like you're saying, a lot of people don't have answers. But then when they're backed up against the wall. A lot of people will go, oh, well, Christianity is the only thing that makes sense. Or, you know, the, the, it's the, the biblical worldview that's actually going to push back against the agendas that we see today, all while questioning the authenticity of Scripture. So they're yeah. kind of using it to, to give themselves um, a, a, a ledge and maybe um, vocalize their uh, moral stance from there, but trying to extract Christ from the Bible. And it's yeah. it's a really bizarre uh, position that they're they're trying to move in. But yeah, you gotta you have to take the whole package. You can't just pick and choose what things you want because it feels good. Yes, you know, I saw this guy actually that was um he he recently was just talking directly. He was doing this this type of questioning. You know, you see people out in public and you ask them this random question, and the guy was saying, you know, what what do we what would we have to do to get a one night stand? And he was just inter- interviewing people, and the dude who walked by that he just threw threw the question to. He was like, you don't need a one night stand. You need Jesus. Yeah. And he just kept walking. And I was like, Ooh, yeah, I don't yeah, think I would have done mic, that like bro. that. <laughs> yeah. I think I would have answered a little bit different. And so the question internally I was wrestling with was why, why, why would you maybe not have answered that directly? And it's so fascinating. The, the pressure that 
culture is under to, I would say, uh, to compromise itself, to fall under the pressure of, of the lie that's constantly out there. And one of those lies is the idea that the Bible is old and outdated. It's an outmoded, unnecessary, antiquated thing that only weak-minded people need. And when you start getting hit with that idea at nauseam from every other place, it's easy to just become subjected to that and to, you know, really ingest that, that belief system. What's crazy is to see how often, if the Bible really is an outmoded belief system, how often it's under attack. Like most people aren't going about talking about the Pinto is a great car. And this is why you need to really own one. We all know that the Pinto doesn't need to be owned. There's no reason to attack the Pinto anymore. We got better things. But because people are are constantly attacking scripture and using scripture and using biblical doctrine, inverting it to try to get people's attention away, starts to open up the eye, I think, to a sensitive person to go, wait a minute, there might be something more to this. There might be something more to, to scripture. Why is it constantly under attack? If it really isn't effective, then there's no reason for so much attention to be put on it. But there's like a spot, like a focused effort on Christianity and scripture to try to eradicate that out of our culture. And I think it's because it actually is way more important than we've been led to believe. Like I know, I think it was uh, Churchill who said that the truth is often surrounded by a bodyguard of lies. And I was thinking the other day, like, what's the real value of a lie? And the value of a lie, as I see it, is it allows you to manipulate outcomes. You can control a person's behavior based on what they believe to be true. And it's almost like if they knew the truth, they would behave differently. So I don't want them to behave this way, so I don't tell them the truth. I think that's why Jesus talked about the truth will really set you free. And our culture is surrounded by lies. Hence, we're constantly, and not just American culture, I mean global culture, we are imprisoned by the lies that we believe. And scripture is the only thing that comes out swinging with truth. That's why it's constantly under attack. That's why it's constantly being made to look like the thing that you can't trust. And it's shocking many times to find out, yo, they was talking about this way back when, way back when, and it still applies today. You know, when Jesus is going around and he's taking over territories, he's actually doing spiritual warfare, like literally going to the gods of these various places. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean the gods of these various places? I didn't think this stuff actually existed. I think it was Chuck yeah. Mister who talked about, like, in Egypt, the 10 plagues that the Egyptians hit, or that the uh, uh, the Egyptians had to suffer, was actually God dealing with the various gods over Egypt. I'm like, yeah. there's gods over places? That's oh, wild. Man. And, and, you know, and what do you think? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What do, sorry. I think what those are too, man, are, 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 those are fallen angels. I believe, you know, I think each God yeah. is like a fallen angel. And I, and what I, what I think happens is I think when Satan, when the, when these angels and, and Satan fell, I believe that that's what he tempted them with. He said, Hey, you guys could be just like Isaiah 14, what he's talking about. I want to be like God. I want to be like the most high. I believe he told these fallen angels, hey, you could be Zeus. I could be, you know, I could be, you know, this different God. I could be this God. And I, that's what I believe those are, are just fallen angels, you know, and the idols are actually demons, you know. So it's it's really interesting, man, what you're talking about. And and it's true. And and he's and he does take out the little G's because God is the God of gods, it says, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But go ahead, Drew. I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to interrupt. Okay. You run on some gold there, mate. But I think it's important that we need to point out, you know, this episode for 
possibly my listeners, but I don't know about you guys. Not all of our listeners are Christians. Yeah, they listen to us I'm for either. our personalities, our they like the content <laughs> we create. It could be just the conspiracy side of things. Christianity isn't everyone's cup of tea. And like you're alluding to, Jason, I think that's all been done on purpose. And unfortunately, what you would consider air quotes organized religion has put a, a sour taste in a lot of people's mouth for what Christianity is. And that's why they question the Bible. That's why they pull it apart and nitpick it. It's because all these controlling elites, the parasite class, whatever you want to call them, they've done a really good job of demonizing Christianity. So much to the point that you can see there is a concerted effort in culture and the world globally to use Christianity as the whipping boy of religion. And it's ironic because they're developing their own world religion around it, opposing what the scriptures of the Bible would be trying to manifest into this world of a Gaia and we're one with nature, what you used to consider as paganism. And you can see that attack on Christianity. So you're absolutely right, Jason. Yeah. Yeah, totally that, right. that's been that's been one of the things that's really blown my mind because, you know, it's easy for people to say you're Christian because you grew up in a Christian home. Like that's my dad's a, that's right. a, a pastor. <laughs> and so I did actually I fit that mold. I'm the person that grew up in a church from the time I was a kid and, you know, up until now. And it would be easy just to say, hey, I'm only a Christian because that's where I was raised there's two problems with that one. It doesn't apply to the non-Christian. Like they don't take that same logic and say, well, you're only a non-Christian because you were raised that way. So maybe you should put that down and consider Christianity, right? It's only a, it's a one way street as an attack uh, against most Christians, but uh, there's some validity to the implication behind it, which is you, I'm not sure you know why you believe what you believe, right? Is there real merit to your belief system? And I think that that's one of the real underlining issues that has to be addressed, that there really is significant intellectual satisfying reasons to actually change and put a person's faith in Jesus Christ. And part of that approach takes into account the fact that there are so many attacks being uh, intentionally orchestrated against Christianity. You know, we come in the United States, we come from a culture that is science that really pushes evolutionary thinking and scientific naturalism. You know, it's really this idea that if it's, if I can't see it, taste it, touch it, you know, hear it, if it's not coming through my five senses, then it doesn't exist. And so this notion of gods, this whole spiritual, you know, what have you, I don't know. That's all hokum. I don't know if we can really trust all of that. Not to mention, I might have some emotional baggage from personal experiences with people that claim to believe in all of that. And I get why that might put people off. The thing that that really strikes me as undeniable evidence, since people like to see that, is living in a country that literally in our own Library of Congress on record, it says that our country was dedicated to all pagan gods. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You got to hit the brakes on that. How are we dedicating <laughs> our country to stuff that supposedly doesn't exist? Like that's a lot of effort being put into the fabric of our, our culture and the fabric of our country to dedicate it to all sorts of entities that quote unquote don't exist, but they're on our buildings. Their fingerprint no. is in our national city. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. We we have, we have a phallus. Opolis. We, a yeah, giant, we, we got, a giant phallus, bro. That's like what is it? Right. It's like six thousand six hundred sixty six inches uh, tall. Right. Right. Six hundred sixty six by yeah. Yeah, 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 no, right. That's, and, and that's also just, the Bible. The Bible is actually in its where where the well the balls right. would be basically. You know, it's in there, <laughs> right. bro. And you got George well, Washington on the very top of it, bro. Like like ascending yeah, who, to Godhood. Who, who did all of that? Why 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 would we do all of that? Why would we put that in direct correlation to the the well, ever pregnant belly of ISIS, which is what the U.S. Capitol dome represents? There you go. Why and, is there a painting on the underside of it in the rotunda called the apotheosis of George Washington that has yeah. him rising in a godhood and surrounded by all like these 22, pagan gods 22 that stars. we paid money for? <laughs> right, this, I think it's got seventy two binding pentagrams inside yeah. of it. Like, yeah. who went through all that effort to do all of that? Why did the United States Congress actually ratify in the Treaty of uh, Tripoli? They said in no terms, in no way is our government, the United States government, founded on the Christian religion. Why go through all that effort if it isn't real? And those are the important questions, Jason. And that's the thing that I think a lot of just standalone conspiracy theorists, those who may not identify as Christians, that's the important thing. If you're going to put it in the lens of team politics would label us as the good team and there's a bad team. Well, it seems like the elites of the world, they certainly believe in the bad team and they're doing everything they can to follow the tenets of the bad team. So if it's a conspiracy theorist, you have to question if the, if the elites of the world and the parasite class believe in the other end of it or the other spectrum, does it not lend to the possibility that the good man upstairs exists? Does that not run through people's minds? Right. If they're all suited up and in uniform, who are they playing against? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, that's yeah. what it is. A lot of people I see, they post like, oh, uh, you know, sa- Satanism, Luciferian in Hollywood and all this stuff. And they like demons, all that. They believe in all that stuff, but they don't believe in God of the Bible. It's like, I, I don't get it. You know, it's crazy. But I mean, that's, that's why we're here. I mean, that's why we got to get, we got to step it up a notch. You know what I mean? And make sure that we're showing people what's up because, Obviously, uh, you know, we got to do our jobs because, you know, we're in this position for a reason is God is using us as a vessel. You know, we're, we're learning the conspiracies. Jason, I could already tell that, you know, you know, it's cracking. So with everything you just went through, you know, it's the same thing I would come out with, you know, but we got to make sure that, you know, we have this audience, you know, and everybody that's listening that might not be Christian yet. And I, I know I have people that aren't Christian yet. I know I have Jehovah's Witness listening. I even have Mormons listening, you know, to my show, even though it's a Christian conspiracy show, you know. And uh, we got to make sure that we, you know, we, we lead these, you know, the sheep that are, that are, we got to make sure that we're shepherds, you know, and uh, lead these, uh, lead the people that, that are listening, you know, and make sure that we're, we're showing them the right scripture, not showing them any new age stuff. I, I see a lot of new age stuff happening and it's, it's tough, man. A lot of people are getting sucked into the new age instead of believing in the Bible. It's, 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 it's horrible. Do you guys see that a lot too, Jason and, and Chris? Yeah. I mean, that's, I that's what I whole Go ahead, Go ahead, Jason. No, no, you got it. No, as I just said, we did a, a New Age episode not too long ago, yeah, and it's crazy too. to see that the the tenets <laughs> of the New Age. Now, it's not very many people that I've run into that have said, "Oh yeah, I believe in New Ageism," or you know, "I'm a New Ageist," or whatever. But throughout all different types of um, atheism and even Christianity, there's these tenets of New Age thinking that just kind of yeah. sneaks in and and dilutes the waters and, and changes the way that we think of things. I mean, uh, progressive Christianity, 
absorbs a lot of new age ideals and, and things like that. So yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely a, a problem. Charismatic church as well, you know, the charismatic church as well. You could see, like, if you listen to the sermons, you're seeing some new age stuff being introduced to, to, to the, to the audience. And, and it's, to me, I think, like you said, is diluting the water, you know, diluting the wine, you know, for sure. I think that's that, vision that, that, boards that, and it points out the, the importance of, I think it's, it's important. You really need to be part of a community with your faith, no matter what denomination you're in. But it points to the importance of captured organizations. Like you look at the Anglican church at the moment, they're discussing about <laughs> pinpointing God as being gender neutral or God can be referred to him or her or Z or Zer. So you've got yeah. all these political social Marxist ideas that are influencing the house of God, these physical entities that are trying to portray themselves as good Christians. And that's tainting the water of everything that's happening within religion. So you're getting these new age ideas filtering in, and that's what they want. These broader people who are behind the scenes uh, trying to manipulate the way that they want Christians to think, they're really just wiping the slate clean and putting in a a diet version of Christianity, which inevitably is going to become that new age religion. Yes. And and the devil devil will give you 85% truth. 15% 15% lie, 90% truth, 10% lie. As long as there's a lie in there, man, he's happy, you know? And you see it. Even when you break down certain uh, sects of, of Christianity, you'll see that there's uh, even Jehovah's Witness. You see that they're doing some things right, but then that, then he's, you know, then they think Jesus is Michael the Archangel and, you know, that they're all about works instead of, instead of you know, being saved by, you know, through grace, you know, or by grace through faith, you know? So you're going to see it, man. So you got to be be careful. Like, we're not, everybody that's listening, we're not trying to tell you guys to to go run to a church either. We're trying to say, make sure that you you dis, you discern because there's 45,000 different denominations. So you got to make sure that you're, you know, whatever your pastor's saying to you, you got to make sure you take that information. You need to go home, you need to study that and make sure that he's giving you the right information because never let it, like your salvation is between you and God. It's not between you and your pastor and God. It's not between you, your wife and, and God. It's between you and God. So make sure that when you're receiving this information, even from us or from your pastor or from, from anybody on the, the airwaves, you make sure you go and study those verses yourself and see what the Holy Spirit wants to teach you, you know? So just like Jason, he said, his dad is a pastor. Um, I'm sure you see it a lot, man. Like I've, I've seen a lot in church where people are so, they're, they're so stuck on a certain mindset and they never grow. They, they just drink the milk, you know, and they sit and drink the milk, yeah. drink the milk, drink the milk. And that's all they get served. They never find out the meat of the Bible. You know, and what happens is they become weak Christians. I'm not saying that they're the devil's probably not even attacking them because they know they're just drinking the milk and they're cool. So they just they just they just breeze through. But once you start finding out the meat of the Bible and you start finding out, you know, stuff that's uh, and then and then also find out what your pastor, what denomination he's teaching from, because sometimes he might be teaching a certain a certain way and only sticking to that. And your whole life, you're going to be like um, tunnel vision you know, with that denomination and never be able to go outside of that. So what I think is awesome about the internet, you know, and, and the, and zoom and, and having podcasts is you could study now at the, at your fingertips, you could study all the different denominations. You could study all the, you know, the Greek, you got the Hebrew, you got everything in your fingertips. So you have no excuses. So now when you go to heaven and God is judging you, it's it's like, well, how can we never, you know, I never knew you. He's going to say that to you because Bro, you have so many opportunities to read the Bible and, and study and, and you just let this everyday life take over your, you know, take over you and you never get the chance to just, 
you know, to get build a relationship with God, but it's it's so important. But you could you could read the Bible in Hebrew, you can learn Hebrew, you can learn Greek, you could do all that. So you have so much, you know, so much stuff at your fingertips now. It's insane. And you have no excuses. So when God sees you, he's gonna be like, It's it was right there. You know, <laughs> you could have you could have been studying the whole time. Instead, you're looking up at you know, looking at Instagram booties or or looking up uh, what your friends do, <laughs> ate for lunch. Who cares? You know what I mean? Like you got to get into the Bible. I don't Who know cares about what me. Eat for lunch. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I think the problem is when not too many podcasters actually approach this type of platform by having multiple Christians on one panel. Because, like you said, there's multiple denominations and people yeah. have their teams. And you, you see, you hear it, and they try it once or twice, and people get bogged down on their denominational view, and they, it's infighting. It's the worst. You see, Christians fighting Christians oh, casting yeah. stones at each other. So, like for myself, it's like what you said, Josh. You have to, you have to approach the Bible and faith yourself first. You have to find it within yourself. Personally, I classify myself as denominationally and theologically homeless as a Christian. I haven't yeah. found uh, any any single church or any single denomination that I identify with yet. I'm just going through the motions of reading the Bible, understanding it for myself and researching. And yeah. in a lot of ways, it's like what the Israelites were. The Israel or Israelite, it, it stands for those who wrestle with God. And I'm wrestling with God at the moment, understanding it and and trying to come to terms with what the world is and what it's all about. So as long as we're having these conversations and we're not attacking one another, which we're not at the moment, which is fantastic... I think oh, we're, we're in a winning, we're winning straight, right? We're doing. I want to attack any of you guys. I love you, brothers. And seriously, I I appreciate even being able to be on the uh, uh, podcast with all you brothers. Definitely, I could tell you guys study well, and you guys have a, a great hearts. You know, there'll be no no attacking here. It's all <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I love that you guys said study and research, though, because one of the things that we found that has kind of led to the unfortunate condition of the church in America is the. Um, the, the Great Awakenings, are you familiar with those at all? Uh, and I, have, I, I think I might be. <laughs> so I think it was mid to late 1700s into the 1800s. There was this rapid expansion of Christianity in the United States. And on one hand, it was a really good thing, right? You know, quote unquote revival happening and all of that. But it, it, it began to take a turn when there were so many people and they needed more churches and they needed more pastors. They shift from, they shifted from needing an, an educated clergy to a feelings based um, leadership. Instead of looking at people and going, okay, who's actually qualified, you know, who meets the criteria, who knows the Bible well enough to teach it. They go, well, who feels like they're led to be a preacher. So then you start filling the churches with these people that mean well, but are unequipped to lead and teach a bunch of people what the, what the Bible really means. And you get over the, the, you get what's called the burnt over region, which is around New York where there was just so much um, confusion and expansion. You get a, a majority of the, the cults that we see today come from this, this rapid mm. expansion and then this moving away from um, study and understanding and research to just feelings-based theology. Yeah. So yeah, we really have to take on that responsibility to do the work and look and see what it really says, do the research. 100%. Yeah, I feel like it, that is vastly important, bro. 
And and it happens, man. Sometimes you, you know, you, you like I used to go to, uh, well, I still go to Calvary Chapel right now. It's non-denominational, um, more for, uh, you know, for support. I like, I like having brothers around, you know, iron sharpens iron. Um, but, uh, I think it's, it's, but I never, ever, I don't sit there and listen to my pastor preach. And then I just accept what he says and that's it. Hey. And then, then, then throughout the week, I just, you know, sit there and, and be lax, you know, like the whole week, bro, I'm studying the whole entire week. I'm sitting. I mean, I do have a show now, so it's a little different, but, um, just, it's like, it, it's hard because the everyday hustle and bustle of living in California or living anywhere right now in America, or probably in it also for Drew, what they do is they bog you down so much. It's hard for you to even study, you know? So I'm blessed with the job where I could just study all day long, you know, and I can, I can listen to pastors preach. I can listen to the Bible on my earphones, you know, whatever I want to do. I'm blessed with that. But, uh, it's, it's like you said, man, it's so important. And, and, and that's the thing too, is Jesus says it so many times in the Bible, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. He, he says that a lot because of what you're talking about, where people come with the emotions and the feelings and they're trying to teach the Bible and, and people will just follow that. And then they just accept what that guy is saying, or that man is saying, what it says on the Bible is let God be truth and every man a liar. So we got to understand that. So the pastor, you know, all pastors do an amazing job and, and there's so many that are doing great. I'm not trying to put them down or anything, but I'm just trying to say what you have to do is make sure that you accept what that gentleman is saying. And then you go home and study it yourself and make sure that God shows you what he wants to show you. You know, it's, it's, it's sad. It's a sad thing, man, when you just accept what a pastor says and that's it. And then the rest of the week, you're just mute. And then all of a sudden Sunday you go, you're feeling good. And then the rest of the week you're mute. You know, you don't speak to God, you know, it's just, I just pray that there's a lot more people that are out there. Like, you know, obviously we have a podcast, so we get to study and research and, and it's vastly important. I think then I have a term for that, Josh, and it's not a, a slight of Christianity at all, but it's, you know, how there's trust the science. There's a statement of yeah. trust the science in a lot of ways. If you're not an active Christian and, and researching and unpacking it yourself and trying to understand it, it almost becomes a air quotes, trust the faith or trust what the pastor says or trust what your, yeah. your sermon is. Mm-hmm. If you're not unpacking yourself and trying to understand it, you're doing what these other people are doing in other fields, in other ideologies. You're just trusting what's presented to you. Yeah. The guy in the white Wait. coat, the lab coat. Yeah. Comes up there, speaks. <laughs> there was a, a, a book, Live Not by Lies by uh, Rod Dreher. And uh, he talks about it. And he says that uh, so many in the, in the West are actually practicing therapeutic theology that you only, you know, use it, put a salve on it, rub where it burns or whatever. And then outside of that, you don't need it. And I was like, wow, that's that's a pretty astute assessment. Well, there's another one then, Christopher. It's what about the people who are culturally Christian, but don't actively believe or follow any of the tenets themselves. They do it for financial gain or for clout within the community. And you can tell those people, they, they come across as charlatans and you see it. It's just plain yeah. as day. But those people exist also. You know, yeah, Jared, my um my my uh old high school teacher used to have this saying, uh, uh he would call it one thirds, two thirds thinking. He would say one third of the population is competent, two thirds of the population is incompetent. You know, two thirds of the population has to be told what to think, what to eat, what to wear, all the way down to what to laugh at. You know, when you're watching a sitcom, they have to put laugh tracks in there to let you know where the joke is because people have gotten to the point they can't even find the funny when it's right in front of them. 
And I think that that whole mentality carries over into other parts of life. You know, like Josh was saying, uh, you have to do a lot of this studying for yourself. And I think one of the things that has become so easy for people is we farm out our responsibility of thinking and evaluating life to others. You know, when it comes to our pastors, we allow them to think theologically for us. Political pundits can think politically. You know, talk show hosts, they think philosophically. Music and movies, they tell us how to think emotionally. Social media teaches how to think from a pop culture perspective. And we're getting all of these controlling sources that are thinking for us as opposed to us learning how to evaluate reality for ourselves. You know, learning that, that, uh, that feedback mechanism of observing how life actually goes looking and and figuring out that, hey, everything has a creator. There's nothing in our world that exists that doesn't have a creator, except somehow us. At least that's (laughs) the the modern way of of looking at it. Yeah. And I know there's probably with uh, a, a show like this with an audience this size, I know that there are people that are going to believe in the idea of evolutionary thinking. And I would say to people like that, hey, really evaluate that standpoint like carry it all the way out, look at it, not just as a creation uh, motif or an idea, but look at it as a philosophical idea for life, because where you start often depends, determines how you end, right? If you think that everything happened accidentally and is without any sort of intentionality, that plays into how we live and how we treat each other. Because then you'll turn around and go, well, why is it people could do what they do? How is it they can drive up interest rates? How is it that you can take people's jobs? How is it that you can destroy lives? Well, if everything happened by accident, none of it really matters. If it's all about survival of the fittest, you can't be mad at me. Scripture teaches a very different methodology. It teaches a very different doctrine. It teaches that we were all created, which means we have responsibility to our creator and we have to look to our creator. We have to look to to Yahweh. We have to look to Jesus' father to actually get our bearing. That's how we determine what the purpose of life is. That's how we determine how we're, our morality and how we're supposed to treat one another. That's how we determine what happens in the afterlife. It's all these major questions that we have. You know, where do we come from? What are we supposed to do while we're here? What happens when we go? These are all the the core questions of, of life. And we're all trying to figure it out. And if you're not getting it from the correct source, then you're stuck in just confusion and muck and mire. And it takes the hope out of life. You're left with hopelessness. And that is what we see happen across, across the, the, uh, the landscape of life. That's why we see, you know, suicide rates are going up. That's why we see the type of depression that we see because we're being told that there is no God. We're being told that life is random and meaningless. And our reality is such that, no, we're constantly looking for purpose and we're looking for meaning. We're looking for all of that in life, which means that it must not be random. It must not be purposeless, right? And scripture teaches, you're absolutely right. It's not. There is a point to it that God created everything, that it was done so that we can actually have perfect relationship with a perfect being, that that was marred by our own uh, foolishness and joining the opposite side that said, Hey, you can achieve Godhood without having to deal with the God. You could do it yourself. And now we've been going through our whole lives, trying to be our own gods, writing our own script, if you will, as the movie still goes and wondering why none of this is really working out. So we just rewrite the script right in the middle is the cameras are still going and the whole play is falling apart. 
because we won't go back to the actual script writer. We won't go to the person who created it all and say, hey, let's straighten this all out. How are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to think? How are we supposed to function? Right now, we're living in a culture that says there is no script writer. You know, you don't know where you can go. All you can do is do it yourself and the next person next to you, they'll do the best they can do and you try to work it out in between. But that doesn't work out well. It doesn't work out if it's just two people, let alone 8 billion people, all trying to figure out how they live life based on their own individual moral standards, which probably are not well thought out to begin with. That's all going to be problematic. So I think every person who's listening, we have responsibility, like you were saying, Josh, to evaluate and determine for ourselves if there A is a creator and if there is, is there anything he said about how we're supposed to live life? And if he has, if there is a creator and he has said how we're supposed to live life, then are we doing it? That's, that's the major thing. And one of the biggest challenges to that is like you were saying, uh, Drew, this, this denominationalism, which breaks up a, a consistent framework for us to be able to consistently show people, hey, this is the way, this is how you do things, this is who the creator is, this is what he said. Now there's all these different interpretations of it. And it becomes increasingly problematic when it's all put under one label, which is Christian, which is personally is not even a label I, I necessarily like, considering that it was given to us by the world. You know, if the world gives us a label, then they also control the label, right? They can determine what it means then to be Christian, which becomes a major issue. Would you notice in scripture, it was about being a disciple of Christ. It was about being a direct follower. A follower. So that, yeah. It's different that, than believing. That term wasn't there. Yeah. Right. You could believe in Christ. You could be a believer. You know, we're saved by grace through faith. So which is great, but being a follower of Christ is totally different. It's a, being a disciple is totally different than just being a believer in Christ. You know what I mean? So that's that's very true, Jason. And also, we we bear the image of God too. We don't even people don't even understand that. First uh, uh, Colossians fifteen. This is talking about Jesus. Is this, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in the earth, that are uh, that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible, invisible, whether they uh, be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Talking about Jesus. So everything was created through him, by him, for him, and we we all bear the image of God. So when people say, oh, you're using God's name in vain, it's not like, you know, it is bad to cuss, but we're actually using God's name in vain as saying that you're a Christian and not being a follower of Christ, but only just believing, you know, what Jason was talking about. People say, oh, you know, being a Christian is, hey, that's awesome. You know, but when you walk into a room, people should already know you're Christian. They could, they should feel you're Christian by the way that you move, the way that you speak, the way that you talk, the way that you, you know, the way you present yourself, you know, you're, you're presenting God. Like that's, you're bearing the image of God. We are created in God's image. Also, another thing, uh, you're talking about science. We got to understand something here. Okay. As a conspiracy theorist, what red flags pop up when we see stuff like, uh, you know, Jesuits, when we see stuff like, uh, Freemasons, especially 33 degree Masons. So when you talk about like evolution, you know, um, Charles Darwin's grandpa is the one that came up with the, the, the evolution, the theory of evolution, right? And he's a 33 degree Mason and he handed it down to, to Charles Darwin to continue his path. His dad was a preacher, so he didn't hand it to him. He handed it to his grandson and said, hey, you take this and you you show it to the world. Because that's all coming from 
Freemasons. Now, when you talk about the Big Bang Theory, we have uh, George Lamontre, right? This gentleman is a, a Jesuit-trained cosmologist priest, and he's talking about the Big Bang. That's all coming from a Jesuit, okay? Uh, Copernicus, when you're talking about the heliocentric model, okay, that's coming from a Jesuit. Copernicus, this is in 1554. The Jesuits were formed, what, in uh, 1540, so that's that's when the, the the heliocentric model came out. So when you read the Bible, the the the, the real con, uh, creation story of Genesis, that's what you guys got to understand, man. When you read Genesis, that's coming. That's a that's a uh, see Moses wasn't alive, you know. So that's that's a directly coming from God. So it's it's really interesting, man. And, and Jason, you have some really good. You brought up some really good points there, bro. Seriously. But we need to understand that, guys, as conspiracy theorists, if you want to be a theistic evolutionist or evolution or you want to talk about the Big Bang or you want to believe in all these things, you need to study the people where it's coming from. Because as a conspiracy theorist, who wants to believe a Jesuit? Do any of you guys want to believe Jesuits? All you guys do is expose Jesuits. You expose Freemasons. You expose Illuminati. Expose all that. And then all these ideas are coming from them, okay? Coming from Lucifer, from Satan, and all of a sudden you want to be like, oh, well, I believe in the Big Bang. I believe in evolution. You'll fight to the death. But we'll fight to the death for the other side, for God. You know, you guys got to understand that. We'll fight to the death for God. I will get my head cut off. I already I already went, you know, I was in the military, man. But I don't fight for that anymore, man. None of that stuff. I know it's all demonic principalities of evil, ruling, uh, you know, the military, all that stuff. You know, now we're fighting for God. So if you guys are going to believe something, you better study where it came from. Because a lot of the stuff is coming from secret societies and it's coming from a narrative. It's not coming from, uh, you know, coming from God. Okay. So we need to understand that, man. The Jason, real God, the one true God. Jason, I'm going to piggyback off something you said before. And I think it's a good topic for us as conspiracy theorists to tackle and try and put uh, a bit of Christian understanding on it, at least speculation around it. You're talking about the one third, two third of the population and two thirds of, of people need to be told what to do, right? Or what mm-hmm. to think. Recent studies have come out from air quotes science <laughs> that suggests that 30% of the population, only 30%, have the ability to have an internal monologue, to have conversations with yourself, to think inside your own mind. So what does that say about the rest of the population? If we're coming out at it from both a conspiracy theory angle and as Christians, what does it say about the 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 other 70% of the population? What's different about the 30%? Is it just that we have discernment and we can think for ourselves or is there something deeper going on there? And take two divided by three, it's 0.6662, man. So (laughs) two thirds, it's 0.666. So that's pretty interesting. But go ahead, Jason. (laughs) I was going to say, I I think that um, there's definitely something deeper going on. You know, Christopher was was having this conversation with me the, the other day and was talking about how when you don't, when you aren't able to have that internal dialogue it really affects your ability to think and process through external stimuli and external information and it affects your learning process so i'm really wondering who are the who's the 70 percent of people that don't have an inner dialogue like what are you doing all day like <laughs> i have to literally take my inner negro and make him be quiet because that internal dialogue is vicious <laughs> There are things that cross my mind. I'm like, yo, um, I, yeah, that's illegal. You can't, you can't even think that. Like, that's just bad. the stuff you share with me is uh, is scary. Which is vetted. I got to vet right, the stuff right. before I share it with you. 
right? <laughs> so somebody not having an internal dialogue, I'm like, one, conceptually, that's wild. But uh, more than that, I think it shows the effectiveness of a a compromised educational system and at large, the satanic control matrix, which is one of the things we, we talk about a lot on, on our show, that idea that there is a there, there are quantitized systems of evil that are designed to truly control humanity. And you're trying to control from an individual level, a social level, all the way to an absolute integrated control system, right? And the best way to do that is to detune humanity. Like Josh was, was, was so good in reminding us, we were designed to be imagers of God, Right. That was part of the charge of humanity. Put us on this planet. And you could see by what Jesus did, Jesus being referred to as the second Adam in scripture, it gives an uh, indication of what the first Adam's responsibility was. And as Jesus has come to actually take the kingdom of God and see what's the best way to phrase this, um, bring it to the planet in order to orchestrate order, right? Divine God's divine order and to bring things into proper alignment, but then to take that out to the cosmos, to actually take the kingdom of God and project it out. Like that's what Jesus was, is, is doing. But we also see since Jesus referred to as the second Adam, that was probably, it's, it's very easy to conclude that that was most likely Adam's original charge as well. To be an ambassador, as scripture says of God, to be a divine emissary. And so as beings encountered us, they were supposed to be encountering God. We were supposed to be that type of representative, right? That's a huge, powerful responsibility. And if that's what humanity was really designed to do and was charged with, getting us to a place where our minds are detuned and we no longer properly image our creator allows for us not to be able to fulfill that purpose effectively. So when we're going through a system, a satanic control matrix that detunes us through through corrupted education, through an educational system that teaches us God doesn't exist, through a system that teaches us we all arouse from chaotic, you know, banging of different elements that produce intellectual life. Yeah, to teach that we came from single-celled organisms to this multi-celled organisms, to teach that consciousness came from unconsciousness. It's a complete inversion of everything that everything scripture is, teaches. Bro. But it's not just an, it's not an arbitrary uh, tactic. It's not like, let me just turn this over for the sake of turning it over. The point in turning it over is that we don't get a understanding of what we were supposed to be. And that means we don't carry out the purpose that we were designed to do, which means it leaves a, a opportunity for, uh, it leaves a vacuum. And like they say, nature abhors a vacuum, right? So that's the opportunity for Satan to come in and exploit that breach. And when he can, he gets a a leverage into that place and then he can actually get a stronghold and he can rule by that. It's like almost ruling by technicality. It's a real sinister approach, but it's a very effective and strategic approach. And so I think it's, it's critically important for us to, to realize that there is a methodology being employed to control us, to get us not to think to get us not to evaluate honestly, to get us to just respond emotionally, to get us to the place where we're just behaving almost as automatons and we're not doing what scripture says. We're not actually fulfilling our our mandate as human beings. Like we are an amazing creation. 
It does not feel like it in this world, <laughs> right? There are a lot of things that tell us, hey, you suck. Hey, you're not making it. Hey, you're not measuring up. But it's all based on a system that's designed to compare us to things that don't really fit our original mandate to begin with. You know, it's not about what house we live in, how much clothes we have. It's not about who we date or marry. It's not about any of those things. It's really supposed to be, who are you based on how you were created to be? Who are you in relation to, mm-hmm. to your creator? Are you, are you taking are you those fulfilling? talents? Yeah. I'll be taking right, those right. talents that God gave you. Are you going to go bury them? You know, are you going to take those talents? Are you going to, are you going to bring them back to God and, 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 and obviously be fruitful, right? That's what we exactly. need to do, you know? And most sure. people are wondering, I don't even have any talents. What talents? What are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? I know. Right? Bro. I'm just trying to make it from nine to five. I'm just trying yeah. <laughs> to make sure that I got a place to live. And what's, what's wild is that I get it. But there's a system that's designed to change your focus so that that's all you care about to put you on the rat wheel, you know, to take yeah. take advantage of the financial system to put pressure on you to where you can't even think about anything beyond what I got to eat. Where am I going to sleep? You know, can I have some hot water to, to wash my behind with? Hopefully people's washing their behind you. You never know nowadays <laughs> you know, about that pandemic. It's a little rough now. They only they they right. washed themselves like twenty times during the pandemic, but now they don't wash it all. And then I'm just right, kidding. right, right. It's different now. We post pandemic. <laughs> you know, there, there's a, uh, there's a conscious effort to to really strangle the the um the mental landscape of a person to where you can't even really consider these more important topics, these more important things that really are huge. So not all that pressure, not all that um inaction on people's part is is directly their fault some of it is but there's a system being employed that's designed to get you to where you don't even think about those things to where your choices are restricted jesus says don't worry about what you wear he says do do the birds take uh food and and put it in a barn no the birds don't so and and you're more important than birds you know so we got to understand this so everything you're talking about that people are focused on you're not focused on God anymore, you know, like Peter, when he, when he walked on the water, right. He like, he saw Jesus, he was focused on Jesus and Jesus was like, come to me, Peter. And he was focused on Jesus. But as soon as he like looked down and, and he, and he stopped focusing on God, he fell in the water. You know, that's how it is with us, man. And and people are so worried about what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, the car they drive, what people think, you know, if I'm going to go to the mall, I need to make sure my hair is cut, make sure this person doesn't look at me wrong. You know, all that stuff that that doesn't right. mean anything. Nobody cares. You know what I mean? Seriously, nobody cares, man. You got to make sure that you're, you know, like you, like you were saying, man, you brought up some really good points there. I, I just think that people need to focus on God, man. Start depending on God, you know, depend on God, you know, walk by faith, you know, let God handle it, you know, and I think. And God wants to be with you at all times, man. He wants to be with you when you're when you're driving in the car. He wants to be with you when you're at work. He wants to be with you in the morning. He wants to be with you when you brush your teeth, when you lift weights. He wants to be there. That's why Jesus, I think he says that, man. I think that's just in chills up and down someone's spine. When Jesus says that, you, he's, I prophesize in your name. I cast out demons in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. That should send chills up your spine to hear that. And and it's people like us, bro. We need to make sure that people are not t- told that by Jesus. You know what I mean? You got to make sure of that. You know that's that's why it's so hard, man. As as a Christian, it is tough. You were talking about that that it's 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 easier to be in war and in the army because, bro, there's so much responsibility when it comes to someone's soul and someone's spirit. And 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 dude, if and you if you have somebody in front of you, sometimes God's gonna put them in your path so that you have that one moment. 
to try to save them, you know, and they could just go down the wrong path when they leave you. It's so vastly important, you know, right. and, and the people that are listening to believe they don't believe they have a soul. They don't believe they. Have oh, my spirit. goodness. Well, Jason, know, this, this is leading into my extreme theory, because you just tackled that with a well articulated, reasoned account of why mm. only 30 percent of the population have an inner monologue. My one is far more fringe and far more conspiratorial. But before I drop my one, Chris, what do you think about it? Why do only 30 percent of the population have an internal monologue? Um, I think this came up in our uh, one of our monthly Zoom calls. Um, I think the data needs to be taken into consideration, like where they, where they got the data. And as much as I hate this cop out, a lot of that is going to be anecdotal evidence. So you're asking people, Hey, do you have an internal dialogue or monologue, right? To, that goes on. And I've got friends that say that they've got, um, like multiple TV screens is how they think. Right. So I think we're in trouble when we try to force the way that everyone perceives their own cognitive ability into just, do you have a monologue or a dialogue going on inside you? Cause I'm not even sure as much as I think say five years ago, if somebody would have asked me, I'm not sure if I would have answered, yes, I have that because I maybe hadn't considered it. Uh, the other thing is uh, Jordan Peterson talks a lot about how thinking is having to be able to run a dialogue in your head right and he says that people that aren't good at it need to talk to other people because the other person offers that second person in order for you to think and if we have a whole generation of people that are growing up using social media that a majority of their communication is happening that's not an actual dialogue it's text messages back and forth it's memes it's all of this I think it's actually training our brains to process information differently or possibly incorrectly because we don't, we don't know how to very well have a dialogue in real life, let alone be able to run that engine internally. So I, I think we have a, a couple of those things that maybe the data isn't quite as accurate as they want to say. And I think that a lot of the um, systems that are put in place, like you were saying, Jason, actually work to dumb us down. You know, the television puts us in a, uh, what is it, beta, alpha state? I can't remember which one it is. I yeah, think it's in an a hypnotic state. state. Right. And then it implants information. And then we have the social media and a majority of our communication isn't happening the way that it's supposed to. So of course that's going to inhibit cognitive function and then confuse us on how we even think that our, our mind engine is running. So that would be my take. Okay. I'm going to be really, really out there then. And I'm going to be the person who throws the spanner in the works and goes a bit crazy on it. We know that even according to scripture, that the Nephilim or the descendants of the Nephilim survived the flood. Some of them did. They were mm -hmm. in Canaan when the Israelites the returned. The Nephilim. Yeah. We, yeah. A lot of conspiracy theorists, even non-Christians, believe that the elites of the world, royals, they are the Nephilim bloodlines. Lots and lots and lots of people in the world, thanks to things like 23andMe and um, DNA ancestry tests, they can trace their own ancestors back to royal families. So my little fringe theory is, what if only 30% of the human population are what you would consider to be 100% untainted humans? And the remainder of which, somewhere along the lines, no matter what small percentage or how far along, have some kind of Nephilim DNA within them, 
which in turn takes away abilities like internal monologues and dialogues because they are connected to a greater legion of thought or some kind of other entity. Okay, I'll tell you this. Biblically, um, if you think about it, okay, so if you are Nephilim, uh, you got to think about that, man. You're, you're, you're now, you're, you came from an angel having sex with a human, right? So you're not even savable, if that makes sense, biblically. So I think like, uh, because you're not, you're not a hundred percent human. So now what I do believe is they're trying to probably paint the DNA, but I believe what happens is like when, when God set the flood and if you, if you read it, um, the only way that the, that now the Nephilim did, they became Raphaim, you know, and, and it did survive the flood. You're right, Drew. And I'm not really too sure how that happened. And we don't know biblically how that happened. Some people say it came through Ham's line because, uh, it talked about, um, it talked about some, some giants coming through there, like as far as like, you know, uh, bloodline wise. But I, I, I don't know how it survived, but you're, yeah, it, it, but it seems like they got smaller. You know, and um, and that's a very interesting take. But I I don't believe that the Nephilim bloodline right now is, you know, I don't believe that the that it that it's survived. If that makes sense, that's my personal opinion. But there is a lot of people that do believe that the higher ups and the elite are Nephilim, and they are. So I I don't know, man. But that's an interesting take, man. And and who knows? All I like to do is go to the Bibles, and and I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, so. I don't know, but that's an interesting take though, for sure, bro. Maybe they have, maybe they do don't have the receptors. Maybe they can't believe in God because they're unsavable, you know, but what the book of Enoch says, which is extra biblical text, it says that when the Nephilim died in the flood, you know, that, that the, their, their spirits, they, they roam the earth because that's, that's what became demons, you know, and fallen angels are different. Like if you look at angels in the Bible, um, they're able to grab, they're able to eat. They look like humans. Uh, you know, and they, they have a body, but like when you talk about a demon, they're looking for a, a body to inhabit. And, uh, that's something we should understand too, as Christians or as people, like these demons, they wish they could be in your body. They wish they could look at their wife and love them. They wish they had kids. Uh, I, in the Bible, it also talks, I mean, in, in the book, you know, it also talks about the, the fallen angels asking like, Hey, can, are they going to be savable? Like, can they please be saved? And God said, no, not at all. So we got to understand that we're savable. God will save us, you know, and these demons hate you. They want to get inside you. They want to kill you. They want to make you sin. They can't stand the fact that you can breathe, that you can look at your wife and say, I love you. Have your kids. They hate that. And so does Satan. He absolutely hates the fact that you're savable because they sinned against God and they're unsavable. But all of us are savable. We're able to be saved through Jesus, you know, so it's really important. So now I'm not saying that that the book of Enoch is is canon, but it is canon in certain countries, and it's a very interesting book. And a lot of people that that read the Bible they go back to the book of Enoch as refer- references. So I believe that when the Nephilim died in the flood, those are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim are the demons. I believe that angels are something different. There's an angel in the Bible that killed 185,000 men. It was it was the angel. You know that's that those those are powerful. Demons, they're not like that, you know. I think that Satan, what he wanted to do, uh, besides the fact that he, you know, he knew from Genesis three fifteen, he knew that there's going to be a seed, there's going to be a Messiah, and he wanted to try to taint the bloodline to stop that Messiah from coming. But he also needs an army. 
because God has two thirds of the angels. He only has one third. So he, he needed an army. So what he did is he got the demons. Now the demons are on us on his side. He's also trying to go through, um, transhumanism and start another army. And I think, uh, they, they want to taint the DNA. Once again, I think Drew, you have a good point there. I think he wants to try to make people non-human and he wants to, he wants to download your, your, your consciousness in, into a computer. You know, it talks about iron and miry clay in the book of Daniel. It says that it doesn't mix, you know, clay and iron don't mix, you know, but there's really interesting stuff that's happening right now that, that, that's really interesting. But, um, I do believe that the demons are different than the fallen angels, uh, because, you know, they need to inhabit something, you know, they need to ask permission, you know, and it also talks about in the Bible, a lot of people think that the, the fallen angels and the devil are just, they're, they're, they're bound to hell and that's where they're at. But if you look at Job 1, 6, God and, and is talking to the devil and, and, and the sons of God are with him. So his fallen angels and the devil can come to, to God's court and speak to him. There's also a divine council where there's a lying spirit talking to God and saying, I'll go down there. I'll talk to that prophet. I'll be a lying spirit. So you guys got to understand that, uh, you know, when it talks about Revelation 12, 9, where, where the fallen angels, it talks about that Lucifer falling from heaven and he, he can no longer come to heaven anymore. And he's stuck on earth. We got to understand that's a separate event than when, than when he got cast out of heaven. You know, he was able to go back. Job 1, 6, it talks about Satan being there, able to talk. And he says he walks on the earth and he says he walks in the earth as well. So what's in the earth, guys? Well, if you read the Bible, Sheol is in the earth. So when we're talking about science and all this stuff, you know, oh, no, it's just a globe. And there's 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 just, you know, you know, it's whatever, 30,000 degrees. They don't they have no idea because they've only they've only dug down eight, eight miles, you know, and that's it. So they have no clue what's down there. But if you read the Bible, Sheol is down there. You know, hell is in the earth. Very interesting. But go ahead, guys. Sorry, I don't want to take <laughs> I don't want to get too crazy. Sorry. So, Drew, that's I, I think you, you said you had a, a fringe idea, right? All right. So my perspective might be a little bit more fringe than yours. Ooh, throw it at me. Let's say uh, but give me give me a few minutes to 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 flesh it out. <laughs> so, <laughs> um I think Dr. Laura Sanger does a, a remarkable treatment <laughs> on the question that you were, you were asking, um, yep. you know, with, with the idea of, okay, so let's say that, that we've got 30% of the population is pure, you know, we'll say pure blood and 70% is tainted from a scriptural perspective. If you, if you go back to Genesis and you read about the ark, and you see that there's some very specific language that's used that talks about the fact that, you know, all the animals were, that came on after their own kind, uh, which is, if you're just reading it in English, you just skip right over that. You're like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'm trying to get to the rest of whatever happened. But it's an important statement because it shows that there was no genetic corruption. And this was like the big thing with Noah. The fact that it says in scripture that Noah was perfect in all of his generations doesn't mean that he was a moral person. It meant yeah. that he didn't have genetic corruption, right? Yep. It's a pretty scientific statement, actually, for those who think that science and the Bible are separate. That's a totally different issue, but I just thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah. Um, when it comes to Noah's sons and their wives, it doesn't talk about them being after the same kind. So there's this mm -hmm. idea then that perhaps we know with Noah and Noah's progeny, his three sons, they were pure. But perhaps the wives they wives. took 
yeah, contain genetic information that belonged to the Nephilim. They may have had some corrupted genes. And by way of that, they could have, through the Ark and through everything that happened after the flood, provide the platform for Nephilim activity to recommence on the planet post-flood. Which helps to answer the question, how did Nephilim activity come about after the flood if the, the purpose of the flood was to deal with the whole Nephilim issue, you know, to begin with? And I think Laura Singer's perspective is is probably the best treatment I've ever heard, which she deals with the idea of epigenetics. And for those listeners who don't know, epigenetics is uh, basically a set of information that sits on top of your genetic structure. So epi means on on top of, correct me, Christopher, if I'm wrong. Uh, I think that's right. (laughs) But it sits on top of that. So it's an additional layer of instructive information that according to her research is actually activated by a person's decision-making, right? So they, they've noticed that if you, uh, I think they were noticing, they did a study and they noticed that in prepubescent boys, if you expose them to overeating or if you expose them to smoke, their their progeny two or three generations later lived a significantly less lifespan than had they not actually if, if the, the the boys had not actually smoked and not overeaten so it showed a, a correlative link between their behavioral choices and the impact on their offspring for at least two or three generations well applying that out wider it seems to be that our choices that we make in our life, especially our bad choices, become the predispositions of our children, right? And if we're dealing with this thing of Nephilim DNA, it seems that that DNA can be unlocked through an epigenetic set of information that is determined by the actions of the parent. So this is kind of what you see with, with Ham, and which was no, one of Noah's sons. He's actually the line of... of He's the genetic line that I think has the most giant activity in it. Yeah. All the lines, all these. Di- yeah. Yeah. All yeah, three yeah, lines yeah. do show that there was Nephilim activity, but Ham seems to be the most concentrated. It might be Ham's and wife. The notion yeah. would be that perhaps what Ham did when it says that, that Ham saw his father's nakedness, right. And the fact that he actually seemed to express some level of perversity in regards to however that transpired that that decision unlocked epigenetic information in his DNA, maybe passed on in his children's DNA passed on through the combination of him and his wife. And that that activity may have been the thing that unzipped the Nephilim DNA to be active, like to actually turn that gene on. And that's how you get some of the the giants and the giant activity that happens post-flood. Well, if that's true to your question, then there's a couple things that you have to take into account here. If all of humanity has been seeded in some way or another with Nephilim DNA or genetic information, then it seems, though, that the, the power of God is able to counter that, right? We're not without hope there seems to be we can all be saved now but we're not all pure blood because all of us can't trace our lineage all the way back through the line of shim which i don't which i believe had the least amount of nephilim dna in it we're all able to still be saved so on some degree we're still human there's there is something still that that god is able to redeem 
But it also means then that if there is Nephilim activity that's causing us to behave a certain way, i.e. not having an internal dialogue, that that's also correctable too. My question would be, is the fact that we have been systematically and generationally conditioned to to not only be dumb, but also to accept Luciferian ideas and act on that. Has that not activated maybe some of the genet- the epigenetic information in our bloodlines that has ties to Nephilim activity and maybe produced the 70% of people that don't have an internal dialogue? If it has, it's still correctable. Like you don't have to just run around without an internal dialogue. But I wonder if that's not a real possibility. And not just the internal dialogue piece, but then other things that we see happening on the planet as well. Because the bloodlust issues that we see, the the child sacrifice issues that we see, all of that, that has to play a role epigenetically. You know, we've been sacrificing children. Every culture in history sacrifice practices infant sacrifice and human sacrifice as a whole, but also infant sacrifice. In the United States is definitely, definitely in line with that. You know, there's a lot of blood running through our country. Does those activities and decisions unlock Nephilim features or Nephilim information within our bloodline that then can be manifested in Nephilim um, predispositions? Can it actually produce levels of iniquity and spiritual perversion? that run rampant in our culture that might actually be the underlying fuel for why we see the perversity in our culture that we do, including the dumbing down of our society. So all it takes is all it takes is a few different things, (laughs) right? Drew froze, man. I thought I I thought he had to reboot. (laughs) We're like this. <laughs> I was All like, I know like, this conversation's going in the future, but, Jason's but like, Drew, come back, baby. Jason's like, I just did a drop the mic moment and everybody's frozen. No, like, it really worked. We're like, oh, oh no, God. we ain't frozen, bro. <laughs> we all just became oh, Nephilim right now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> well, that, that really goes back to what you consider with terrain theory as well. We know that epigenetically that certain factors in our environments can trigger mutations or things to arise within our DNA to cause illnesses. Same way it can cause genetic traits to go a certain way. It can even in, inform the way that people will act personality-wise or culturally. It, small things within your environment or influences can change who you are as a person. So I think you hit the nail on the head with that, especially with the work that she's doing. It's absolutely unreal what she's unpacking, that we all know DNA is information. You can store more information in one human cell than you can across a thousand supercomputers. Our DNA is endless information. And if we're worried about the things that are causing, say, the 70% of people not being able to have an internal monologue or the proclivity to do and react in society in certain ways, we have to think about the positives that are hidden away in our DNA as well. Because our DNA does go back to the first people, the first pure people. It goes back and shows us the divine spark of God. So what other wonderful things are hidden away in our DNA we don't know about? And we got to understand, man, as soon as we get saved, right? As soon as we get saved and we're saved, now we we now have the Holy Spirit. So 
Nephilim and all that stuff is 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 no longer going to be able to affect you when you're. I believe. I'm not saying. Okay, I know. I don't know what Laura's uh, research is, and I, I know she's amazing. I never had her on my show. I don't know what her thought process is, but once you get saved biblically, you have the Holy Spirit with you now, and I believe that you're not going to be the able to be affected by Nephilim demon. You're not going to be able to be any of that stuff. You're, you're saved by the blood of Jesus, and that and that's it. You're sealed. You know what I mean? So I know that you can, I'm not saying that it's once saved, always saved. I'm just saying like, once you're saved by, by God, any of that stuff is not going to affect you anymore from, from what I believe. And I believe the Bible stands true. I think that's, that's done. No more Nephilim, no more demon, no more of that stuff's going to affect you. Once you have the Holy spirit in you. Josh, you were saying a moment ago though. um, And one of the things I thought was so, so cool. You were talking about transhumanism and some of yeah. the other agendas that were in play, you know, uploading mm-hmm. consciousness, all, all that type of stuff. One of the things that, that she detailed was this idea of a Nephilim agenda and that the whole purpose of the Nephilim was to actually try to create uh, a hybrid race of humanity and how we see a constant push uh, in our in society to constantly combine humanity with things that was never meant to be combined with. Yeah, why we see the whole transhumanistic, transhumanistic uh, push, which is to combine humanity with machinery. Why we see the idea of you can live eternally, being offered to people just like Satan offered in the Garden of Eden. You don't have to die. You can have your your consciousness uploaded, or as yeah. uh, that Netflix movie put it, you can be resleeved. Was that uh, uh, that Alta Carbon? Carbon. I forget the name of Alta Carbon. Yeah, yeah, you could be resleeved or. Uh, that movie Transcendence, you can have your entire consciousness put into a computer. And we see a lot of this push happening for science and humanity to to merge. And it looks like it would be a good thing. You know, this could improve life. The, the, the nefarious aspect is we're always pitched to benefit. We're never told the <laughs> way that this stuff could really adversely affect us, right? We're never told that, yo, when if you could capture a person's consciousness and who they are, right? One, it causes the evolutionary idea to fall apart in a lot of different ways. Uh, But two, excuse me, two, if I can capture you, I could control you, right? Where do you, where do you get to go? You're going to be subjected almost in prison, if you will, and whatever device you could be uploaded to a digital purgatory, right? You become part of that system and you're, you're you're obligated to it unless your conscious or your soul, which they're not going to really talk about, is able to be extracted from that in order to be put into something else. But the idea that you could have an eternal body, it'll just be a metallic body, not this one that God gives you that's free of corruption, you know, and an amazing body, but you'll be subjected to machinery. There's all sorts of stuff that you're not told. You're always pitched the, and then- the benefit of it. Normally, it'll be a medical benefit. You know, something that we can cure some disease that, unfortunately, the system created in the first place. But in the meantime, you're risking your entire existence. You're risking your soul for for these things that were being pitched. And the crazy thing is that a lot of it ties back to the Garden of Eden. A lot of it is the original pitch that Satan gave to humanity. You don't have to die. You can have infinite knowledge. You can be tied to, to the web, the Internet, all of that. You can get all the information you want, like Neo from the matrix, you can have it instantly downloaded into your, your brain. You don't have to die and you can experience life in an elevated form, right? And none of it is tied to the idea of experiencing it with a creator. The relationship 
component is completely obfuscated from from the the conversation. It's not that you can have an experience with a loving God whose mercies and pleasures are new evermore. It's not that you can actually be fulfilled through your creator and and have your deepest desires met, not not your own sexual proclivities type of desires, but your deepest needs for intimate relationship, for validation, for meaning, for purpose. You can have all of that met with a being that loves you is not trying to extract something from you. And but also we get says, the opposite pitch. I'm sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Okay, no, no, it no, also says in Revelation, bro, that um that people are gonna be uh begging for death, right? It says that that they're gonna they they're gonna desire to die and death shall flee from them because the locusts uh they'll be like locusts and scorpions are gonna be stinging you repeatedly. They they forgot to tell you that pitch that in Revelation people are gonna be begging for death. For five months you're gonna be tortured. So what happens is these people that want to live here forever, they wanna download their consciousness, whatever they end up doing. What it right. is is they you can live on earth forever and have all the pleasures of earth. Or you can live with God eternally forever. You make your choice. So I do believe the mark of the beast has something to do with what you're mentioning right now, where you can live on earth forever and you're going to have eternity here on earth with the devil, Satan, his demons and everything. And, or, you know, instead of being able to live with God eternally. So what they forgot to mention is in Revelation in the future, what's going to happen is you're going to be begging for death and death you is going to bleed from you. Yeah, you're not right. going to be able to die. It's a picture right. convenience as well at the moment, right? And I yeah. think Christopher will jump on this because he's a bit of a sci-fi guy myself, that it's a pitch of convenience at the moment. They're tiptoeing into this transhumanism world where you pay for your bills by waving your hand. You have a chip in your hand. Next is like a Neuralink. Why would I bother looking at the internet on my phone when I can see it internally in my mind? And then eventually it becomes, we have the cure-all for disease. Nanobots in your system. Constantly heals you. Heals your body all the time. Well, when those scorpions and those those things that come out and they are stinging you and you're begging for death, you're still feeling the pain. You might be healing or, instantly, but you are feeling the pain and you would beg to die under constant pain, would you not? But Wolverine sure. made it look so cool. Behave the claws <laughs> though, see? Yeah, yeah. He made it look cool that we can just regenerate and we can reheal and it won't be that big of a deal. Hey, but hey, it hurts every time. Nah, well, you know, he like, like he makes it look cool. Right. All you got to do is roar a little bit when your claws come out. <laughs> and we were talking painful. about the Greek. We were talking about like the, the gods and stuff like that. And and, and you guys got to understand when we're, what we're talking about when they get released from the bottomless pit. Uh, it says the Hebrew name is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue, his name is Apollyon. He's the one that lets you know, opens up the bottomless pit and lets these creatures come out. So Apollo. Right. Do you know what CERN runs across? Yeah, I know. So it runs bro. across a uh, temple to Apollo as well. Yeah. What yeah, are they trying to open does. up with that, huh? Yeah. That's, you know, we, we just arbitrarily decided to build the most largest machine on the planet at a random place. I don't want you Christian types, you know, thinking too much <laughs> into it. All right. I know that this is in antiquity considered the the doorway to hell, but don't think that there's anything going on here. I know outside of CERN, we have the god Shiva there, and we did yeah, a mock human Shiva sacrifice. Shiva the destroyer. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. right. But there's nothing to see here. This is purely just scientific <laughs> research. Look, I, it's a lot of tongue-in-cheek right now. Like, I'm not trying to denigrate people that work at CERN. Uh, I'm sure there is a lot of, of meaningful scientific experimentation that's going on there. Where I get concerned is where the heads of these organizations have talked about their intent. Like the first director of CERN talked about the fact that we don't know what's on the other 
Oh no, Jason froze. Yeah, he did freeze. Wow, he froze oh, this time. Up. I froze. <laughs> Just for Am a I second, bro. No, no, you good. Tag on NSA. We was talking about something real good, and they was talking like, about ah, CERN, beat. bro. Right. Yeah, not allowed Every to talk time. About CERN. But you were talking not... good about him. <laughs> Damn. Hey, I didn't even say nothing bad yet. Now that I'm unfrozen, now I'm gonna say what I want to say. <laughs> um, but it was the director of CERN that actually said, "Listen, we need to." The first director said, "We don't know what's on the other side of the veil, but we need to reach out. We're trying to make contact. We want to see what's there." Like, whoa, 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 but, buddy, Jason. What do you think? You're forgetting the the biggest part, though. Like, all this stuff is a concern to us because we've got the inside knowledge, right? We've got the scoop on it. Even from a mainstream, normie, scientific perspective, there's a small chance, no matter how small the margin is, they could recreate the Big Bang. That's like selling a car to someone and saying, there's a 6% chance the car will explode when you turn the key, but it's only a 6% chance. It's a great car. You have a 94% (laughs) chance that it doesn't happen. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, the power of positive thinking would be, Focus on the 94%. The 6%, I just had to tell you that. But, you know, it's never happened before. Yeah, I, I feel you, man. Uh, I would be super concerned, you know, working at a place like that that's trying to recreate the Big Bang, which supposedly had enough energy to produce the cosmic universe that we live in right now. Yeah. It doesn't seem like the type of thing we should actually be involving ourselves with i mean i'm sure there's other experiments we could do and understanding you know particle physics and understanding how a lot of these subatomic particles interact with each other i mean that's cool stuff uh you know go for it but trying to recreate the quote-unquote big bang i don't know how that's going to play out you know trying to reach beyond our physical divide to get in touch with entities beyond the veil i don't see how that's going to play out well well how's this CERN recently, they, they booted it back up for the first time in a long time since COVID, right? And the first thing right. they noticed when they ran a test was the magnetic fields on the earth started to drop and started to fluctuate. Now, my little conspiracy theory in mind with a Christian lens on it would say that they were trying to break through the firmament. If the yeah, if huh. you could detect the magnetic fields, what's to say the magnetic fields aren't actually an energy offput of the firmament that's keeping us within this realm and protecting us? Were they trying to break through it to let, say, some new soldiers go up in there for the eternal war? Who knows? Well, if you, I, well, I, also... I don't know. It's I think it's quite possible, especially where it's positioned, because in antiquity, the place that they built it was considered the doorway to the underworld. Right. That that's where they decided to plant their flag and go. All right, construction starts here. Out of all the places we could on the planet, we're going to start our construction at the place that, you know, history used to recognize as the doorway to the underworld. And we'll see what happens as we reach out to to get in touch with these other entities. I think it's quite possible. You know, one of the uh, other theories that I came across, I don't know how plausible this is, but I think it's very interesting, is the idea that in the core of the planet, there may be a a hollow tube, right? And this tube is going through the poles of the planet. And because the poles, I guess when you get there, they, they invert. I said the tube could be like a bottomless pit where there's no end to it because the poles flip when you get to the end. So it's just constantly going. If, if that's the case and inside of that pit are, are these entities that revelation refers to that Apollyon is the, or Baden is the, the king of could CERN actually be trying to unlock or open the key. That's to that yeah. pit. Yep. Now, Revelation says before. an angel comes down and actually opens, has the key. So I don't think CERN's going to be able to do that 
They're sure. just trying to pick the lock with pick all the, the technology or, or, or breach. Yeah, well, well, or or maybe breach the the barrier between the two and maybe create an opportunity to maybe pass along information between. You might not be able to create, you know, getting through the front door, but if you could create a backdoor hole that you could, or maybe in the sidewall and pass information in between, that still is something. And it's something maybe maybe about. they're trying to break that veil like you were talking about every time they, they hit those together like a piece of matter you know it could be it could be trying to open up the veil and just let all these things out i mean it's and it's also a circle what do they do satanic uh whenever they do any kind of satanic uh sacrifices or or when they're trying to speak to a demon it's always in a circle right they always do that so and if you notice it's a giant giant circle and it's um there's a lot of interesting things about that uh about cern man very interesting. But you talked about the firmament, Drew. I love that, you know, and uh they tried to do that with Operation Fishbowl back in the day. Uh there was a there was something called Operation Fishbowl where they did high high altitude nuclear tests where they were trying to explode, you know, the firmament. They're using Thor missiles to to explode that. And um it was actually called uh Operation Dominique Chama was the larger operation and and Dominique in Latin means uh belonging to the Lord and then Chama means fixed shell. So I think that's pretty interesting, man. If you look at that, it happened in 1962. If you guys want to research that, anybody that's listening. And I believe that we're actually on a flat earth uh, with a dome. And and I understand that Jason believes differently, which is all good. I still love everybody. But that's just what I believe the Bible uh, describes in in, in Genesis, that uh, with the firmament and, uh, you know, fixed and immovable, not rotating, not spinning around uh, the sun at 66,600 miles an hour. Uh, we're not just some floating thing out there and, 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 and God's throne is above the firmament. I do believe that. And, and I believe that God is local a lot closer than they think, you know, it, with the, with the heliocentric model, God would be so far away and it's ever expanding. He would have to keep going further and further and further away, you know? So, but it's all good. Um, interesting stuff you were talking about, Jason, with the, um, I haven't heard that before with the, um, uh, the bottomless pit in, in the, in the globe. That's interesting, man. It's yeah, all right. Know, one of the. For, for me, I, I'm in like a, uh, I'm in flux. You know, the more that I learn, the more I have to apply to what I think I know. So I mm-hmm. haven't had a chance to go out and, you know, get on a rocket ship and look at the planet and actually see <laughs> its shape. Um, so I can't hold so, so dogmatically to yeah. what I was educated in school. I, I do have questions if we are on a flat earth, you know, there are things that I, I would need to see explained. Uh, and I'm not, <clears throat> excuse me, at the point where I'm necessarily throwing out uh, a spherical model because there are other things that seem to make sense. I, I think the problem that we hit uh, as a as a people group is when we're unable to explore ideas that are maybe juxtaposed to our own view yeah, yeah. and maybe see, hey, is there any merit to this? When we start to, to demonize people or denigrate their views because it's different, I think that's really where we run into a, a major issue. So I think it's cool, like you were saying, Josh, that we could have different views and still there'd be, you know, no animosity, no, no issue between For us. Whereas sure. when you when yeah. you get out in, in the larger world, people seem to immediately dismiss the idea because it flies in the face of what they were taught. And I think we have to develop the ability to be able to examine ideas, even if they contradict our previously held view. Because if you can't do that, then you can't learn. You become transfixed. Yeah. Yeah. And that means you're not growing anymore. At that point, you're starting to die. Especially if you're a Christian now, you know, you read the Bible and it says in the Bible that even Jesus says that if you don't believe the words of Moses, then how are you going to believe me? 
right? So it's right. like a faith builder. So when the Bible says something like, you know, about the the earth, like being fixed and immovable, and then you, and then science says that it's, you know, moving and rotating and all this stuff, then you start going, okay, well, let's see what the Bible says. And, you know, it, it gets really interesting, but what I do is I just use the Bible as my as my foundation and and anything else out there that that, that goes against it. Well, let me just see what God says because I, I do believe that it's it's God breathed and all scriptures inspired by God and and I just I stick with that. But I think it's it gets really interesting. I definitely think the Bible is talking about a geocentric for sure uh, and not a uh, heliocentric, you know. And I think it gets mm-hmm. really interesting, but. It's all love, like we talked about, Jason. Like I'm just like, and I'm glad that you're open to it, and I'm open too, man. I'm open right, too. I mean, listen. Here's what I here's what I definitely know. I know when I get to heaven, and I know when I see God, and I know when I see <laughs> creation. You know, as it is. Oh, there's a yeah. lot of things that I thought I knew that are going of to course. be wildly different. <laughs> right, sure. a lot of stuff that I'm sure I knew. Like I might found out that when Michael Jackson was moonwalking, he was really levitating. I'm like, for real, Lord? that was levitation. <laughs> He's like, you, you thought he was just smooth with it. I'm like, yeah, see, I got I got a lot to learn. So if that's true, if there's a lot for us to learn, then it definitely has to mean that our perception has to change. Sure. You know, and being yeah. being human beings, only having, you know, being on this planet as a species at the limited amount of time that we have, there's no way we can know everything about our created existence. There has yeah. to be things where, oops, okay, we didn't have that right. Or, oh, okay, <laughs> I see. I, now I see where, okay, that's the problem. Or I got to change this perspective. So I can't sure. hold a dogmatic view. Do you know you what know, I think he's going to say to you, though, Jason? He's going to say, I love that hat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Lord, why aren't you making it more colors? <laughs> Speaking but, of love, cosmic about- peaches in the house. I had Faith Sheet Shop, and she's here. Fellow Ginger, here. one of the best podcasters. Welcome. Welcome. Hi, everybody. How are you? Right. Good. How are you doing? Good. good. Is well, Catalyst joining here. us? I had hoped so, but he hasn't shown up yet, but we'll give him time. All right. That's okay. So we were talking about that's Flat Earth. All right. Of course and, um, we are. <laughs> um, Dan Duvall uh, talked about how he thinks that it's instead of flat, he thinks it's a Taurus. And I'm going to be brutally honest. I have no idea what he's talking about. Have any of you oh, heard a toroidal shape? Toroidal. It's like a donut. Yeah. Like a, yeah, it's like a donut. It's, so there's a hole in the middle where the energy comes out and then goes in and then it comes back out and then it's like constantly recycling itself. But um, essentially, there's some flat earth models where there's a hole in the center. And there's like a big whirlpool thing with spinning water and like all the energy goes in. It's kind of like what Jules Verne based um, like Journey to the Center of the Earth off of and uh, 20 Leagues Under the Sea or something like that. That there's like if you keep sailing, you'll reach this vortex where the energy is recycling itself, which is interesting. But um I think we're in a snow globe and we're on a flat plane with a firmament and that's mm-hmm. my and God's opinion. throne is above the firmament. You know? I, I think it's like an the ice most cream cone. High. Yeah. I think it's an ice it's cream cone. It's not cone? a flat disc. It's the dome with the earth and then there's crust and things that go like down a little, to a Like a little Like piece. a little thing like this. That's yeah. where, yeah. But that's but why that's we can dig like, down um, so far. Like yeah. shale and and Hades would be like the little yeah the bottomless the bottom. pit yeah mm-hmm. yeah 
Yes. And I think there's water above the firmament. Got you know. Uh, yes, uh, David, I I think David the same. talks in the Psalms. Psalms one forty says that that praise ye the water that be above the heavens. So there's water above the firmament. Mm-hmm. God also in in Revelation he talks about you're hearing thunderous sounds and you're hearing sounds of water in heaven. Now you get a bird's eye view in Revelation four. You know it talks about a crystalline. Uh, you know, crystalline and, and there's a rainbow, you need water for rainbow, right? So in heaven, there's going to be water. Um, and, and also it talks in Ezekiel 126 that God's throne is above the firmament. And also where, you know, when Daniel was fight, you know, Daniel was praying for 21 days. Uh, Gabriel came and told Daniel or, or the angel told Daniel, Hey, I was fighting against the prince of Persia. You know, which remember Jason, we were talking about earlier. I, was, I think fallen angels are above like, you know, these, 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 uh, these, um, principalities are above like America or above, you know, Australia, you know, I think it's principalities, Mm -hmm. but I think it's, gets interesting, man, where I think that, you know, above, you know, the moon, sun of the stars are in the firmament. And I believe that's where the, the, the spiritual battles are happening between, uh, angels, fallen angels. And, 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 and that's why it takes a while for them to come and answer our prayers sometimes 21 days for Daniel, for example, because they're fighting to get to us. And we don't even realize it. We sit here and pray like, Father God, how come you can't answer my prayer? And there's angels that are fighting against other angels just to try to get to you, fighting against Satan. Mm -hmm. You have to call on Mm -hmm. Michael. Can you please come and fight for me? It's in the book of Daniel and it's real. So I think that I think yeah. that's where I believe that the spiritual battles are happening is where the moon, sun, and the stars are located. And uh, we here on earth, and, and it also says in Genesis that the moon, the sun, and the stars are for light for the earth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just for the earth. They're not lights for other planets and other galaxies. It says it's to light up the earth for the night. And then the moon is, you know, a great light, greater light for the night. And then the, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, a lesser light for the night. And then, you know, the sun is a, is a, is a, a greater light for the day. It's all made for us. All that stuff we see in the cosmos is made for us, not made for aliens, not made for other galaxies that are, you know, and, and, and stars are not, you know, six trillion light years away and all this stuff, you know, and, and six trillion miles. I mean, they're, they're, they're local. I'm More glad local. Julia came on and explained what, I'm so glad Julia explained what toroidal earth was because I, I had no idea what it was either. Po- <laughs> I thought Christopher was talking about some kind of new Pokemon. <laughs> sounds like some new age, sounds like some like, new age idea. Talking about? <laughs> sounds like yeah, some new age idea um, for flat earth or something. Something that Josh had said to me before that has stuck with me is um in the creation story he created the heavens and the earth and then he created the sun and then he created the, the moon, moon sun and the stars and, yeah and the stars also so what was the earth rotating around if the sun was made first on the fourth day no the sun was made on the fourth day the earth was it says that the heavens and the earth were were made on the um well the earth was made on the first day, it says, but right, the earth that's is what just I'm land. They always, yeah. they always so try what it to is, put is the sun, sun first, like yeah, sun yeah. worshipers. They always yeah, try yeah, to yeah. say that we rotate around the sun, the sun, the sun, the sun, yeah. the Saturn worshipers. And it the wasn't sun made till the fourth but... day. 
It wasn't made right. till the fourth wasn't day. Made so till the fourth day, the continents came on the third day. The the firmament came on the second day. It says that God created the heavens and the earth. Earth just means land in the Bible. If you look at the Hebrew, the land is mm-hmm. the foundations of the earth. Because it even says angels even mm-hmm. they, they said they were clapping and they were praising God when when He created when He laid the foundations. Right. So it and mm-hmm. and Shemaim is the heavens. The heavens means and that, that's not the firmament yet. Because God did call the firmament heaven. It says it in uh, Genesis 1-6. So we got to understand that the earth was made first. Everything is created for us, for the earth. Right. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. not opposite. It's not all, it's not opposite where the sun was, you know, came 4.6 billion years ago. Then the earth 4.5 billion years ago. Yeah. The stars came 13 billion years ago. Think about it, guys. Okay. The sun was made, the sun, the moon, and the stars were made on the fourth day. So what was the mm-hmm. earth rotating around on the third day or the second day? Mm-hmm. And it also says he created the firmament. He separated the waters from the waters. The waters from the waters. So there's waters above the firmament. Now people understand mm-hmm. that the firmament is is uh, is solid. Rakia means solid. That's what it means. A solid dome. Okay. Um, or or if you think about it in stereoma in Greek, it also means solid. So it, it gets really interesting. I don't want to get crazy on the flat earth thing. I'd rather keep <laughs> a, the conversations we're having. Sorry. Okay, I I've would got, blast off on this, bro. So let's, let's I've got a topic on. then. I've got a topic to throw at you all. And I'm only going to bring you this up now because we finally got a majority of redheads here. It's myself, Chris, and there's Julia. We have, a, we have a majority now. So what is up with the redheaded gene? Is that a bloodline? Is that something that's unique? What do you think? Uh, Christopher and I, we had a conversation via a post to put on Twitter, I believe, or um, Instagram rather, about mm-hmm. how all these characters in modern culture are being replaced. They're all the ginger characters are being replaced. Even historical mm-hmm. figures in um, what you would consider documentaries, air quotes, are being replaced. They're no longer redheads. Why do you think that's happening? Is that just a societal change? Is it a cultural shift? What's going on? I, I just think it's just That's another a good question. I just think it's just another another gene, you know, and 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 I, I don't I don't look at it any different. It's actually a mutant gene. Um, you watch it's like mouth. a. <laughs> <laughs> I can hey, say it because I'm my one of them. Is there a way to turn down just a little bit? Um, let me. Mike's a little loud. Oh, is this better or a little lower? So. Okay. I, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a mutant gene and it's Drew, isn't, aren't we like 1% of the population or something like that? Something ridiculously small. Yeah. 2% of the population. And I, I don't know why they're replacing them. I actually think that, um, the redhead gene is kind of nefarious in its origins with the red-haired giants and the red-headed elongated skulls they keep finding um, in Peru and other places in the world. And if you look back in history, they're usually regarded as some type of fantastical creatures with uh, supernatural powers, which we would uh, as a Christian, say that they were Nephilim. Um, so I don't know why they're trying to replace it. I have talked to Gary Wayne a little bit about it. And it's just the red hair is kind of a after effect of some of the, the interbreeding, but so is blonde hair and blue eyes. So we see a lot of blonde hair, blue eyed people walking around as well. 
And that's also part of the commingling. Yeah, Laura Chris, what about talks. you? Yeah, Laura Singer talks a lot about um, red hair and Esau being having red hair and and those that followed his line. It's, her book is fantastic. But it had me thinking because, so my last name is spelled D-E-A-N. But I was talking to my dad a while back and he said, oh yeah, somewhere along the line, you know, they changed it from D-E-E-N to D-E-A-N. And then we coincidentally found that there is still a Temple of Dean in Ireland, D-E-E-N. Mm-hmm. And me being six foot eight and having red hair and um, mm-hmm. not always living for the Lord. So my character at times has been flawed. I was like, huh, that's a little bit scary. Yeah. <laughs> there yeah. might be something else here. Well, Christopher, uh, the, the E and the A is only a, a new addition to the English spelling. It used to be a split. It would have been a split spelling back in the day. So instead of the D and the A being where they were, it would have been D-A-N-E, Dane, originally. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Dane, tribe of Dan. Word, a little bit of word. Sounds like, looks like, is like going on there. Mm. Ah, see, that's fascinating. You know, the tribe of Dan was where they had the, uh, was was where the the idol worship really came in to to the nation of Israel. And Dan got ejected from the whole whole nation because of that. I've heard it said, Mm. I don't know how how, how true this is, but that Dan helped to settle where the Danish people were at. Mm-hmm. and the dutch and how even where yeah, they travel that's what i was gonna say my last name well my maiden last name is hamilton and when i did like the ancestry dna thing or whatever it was like ireland and um like uh i could probably pull it up but it was all those things so Catalyst jones is trying to get on right now so i i sent him the uh, invitation i just want to make sure he received that we might be hopping on too, just letting you guys know. Awesome. So yeah, it's like it's and like you said, how they they kind of cast out and they created that those types of geographical areas. If you look at the the mainstream historical understanding, it was the proto Europeans or the Aryans that kind of dispersed and just they left wherever they originally came from. They spread out across Western Europe and and onto the steps into Eastern Europe, and they established all of these cultures that we know of today. And ironically, a lot of those people were blonde blue-eyed or redheads mm-hmm. as well so was this the tribe of dan that was expelled and they were forced to flee into those areas that's mm. a very distinct possibility if we're looking at it through that lens and think about right. that and and look think about this guys the people that are in israel right now you know are that is that just one tribe half a tribe is that the real tribe you know i mean think about this joseph and the Bible Man, you're trying uh, to get us canceled. Hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on. I'm not trying to get anybody canceled. I think they are probably <laughs> maybe one tribe, but you guys are just talking about these different tribes. I mean, Joseph was able to go to Egypt and be accepted as Egyptian. Moses was able to uh, go to uh, Egypt and be accepted as Egyptian. Uh, we got to think about that, man. Uh, think about this. They're they're of darker color, darker skin. But I mean, all these different tribes split up. You know what I mean? So we got to understand that, you know, they probably look more like maybe Jason, uh, you know, the, the tribes mm-hmm. of, of Israel, you know, not like Josh right here. You know what I'm saying? Not like, like, like that. Bur- not like brown <laughs> hair, brown eyes. I've always and said that. It gets really interesting. If you guys really, 
really study, you find out that it's, it's, and it, and, and if, and if everybody knew that, Jason, think about this, bro, about all the people that, that are growing up right now in the in, in inner city right now that, that just mm-hmm. think it's hopeless. They're, they're children of God, bro, and they have no idea. Mm-hmm. So that, mm-hmm. that's a big conspiracy you guys should break into if you guys are listening. I'm not trying to get on this this rant right now because it'll it'll be just be a long podcast. But I'm just telling you guys, I'm not saying that all of them are, are Jason's color. And I'm not saying that I'm saying that, you know, there is different tribes, but there's 12 tribes. There's not just one or a half a tribe. Whoever is over there right now. Uh, let's 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 try to study that a little bit, guys, and find out what's up, you know. It gets well, I was interesting. Make a joke when Christopher was talking about uh, the redheads, and I was like, you know, it's it's okay, Christopher, because at least you're amongst one of the original Hebrew. <laughs> no, I'm gonna let it go. My husband has brought that up before too about that. And there is there not a scripture that says that Jesus's hair was like wool? Um, there is, but that's what he's that in heaven, though. Lot. When he's in heaven in Revelation, it says that his hair is like wool and his eyes, but that's after he's in his heavenly body. You know what I mean? He's in heaven, so it's a little different when he's actually here on earth. We don't, we don't have a description of Jesus. You know, we don't, we don't know. I mean, uh, you know, he, he seems like he'd be a regular Joe though. You know what I mean? Just a regular, he's not trying mm. to be some handsome, beautiful, beautiful eyes. No, he's trying to be a construction right. worker. He's just trying to be a servant and that's what he's trying to be. <laughs> he ain't trying to be this beautiful looking person. That's, but I mean, obviously he spoke and he's, he's amazing speed, you know, everything he's, he's, he is God on this earth. You know, I'm not saying, yeah. I'm not saying he's not handsome or anything like that. I'm just trying to say, I think he tried to be as, as, as down to earth as, as he possibly could. He could have came like Solomon, right. And been the richest, wisest. And, 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 and he could have been standing at the highest mountaintop with everybody worshiping him. But no, he came as a, as, as just a. Right. He uh, probably came as the most mundane person there is possible. As humble as yeah. he could be, serving so much that even he's washing feet and 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 you know he just a beautiful, beautiful. Uh, we're so blessed to have this blueprint of how to live and how to be. You know, mm-hmm. and, and this correcting is the interesting these religions. Thing. This is the interesting thing. Like we don't have a a defined description of what Jesus may have looked like. We've got the the Borgias version of what they want Jesus. Oh yeah, to look yeah, like. yeah, 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 yeah. But of all course. the a lot of other prophets in history or warlords or generals. They're depicted as people having red hair. Genghis Khan was a pale-skinned, red-headed guy. And to think a yeah. Mongolian, of all people, was like that. And then you yeah. look at the mm-hmm. likes of Muhammad, who supposedly was a redhead in depictions that are allowed and not turned, torn down and set alight. There's a lot of other people in history who are significant who are described as that. So that makes me think, are they the wrong side that is trying to be flushed out of history? Or is there something going on there? Some people believe that that's the Nephilim bloodline, and and that's that's the. Uh, well, I don't have the height. I'm short. I'm in like five foot nine. Yeah. So <laughs> some people believe that, though. I've heard I've heard some people say that. And the that, sun is know, not my and... friend, so I'm failing to see the benefits of such bloodlines, bro. <laughs> what, what I told you. What I told you earlier, though, bro. You I'm have sorry. you have red hair and green eyes, though, right? You're definitely <laughs> Nephilim bloodlines. <laughs> I've had somebody say that I was a Nephilim at a bar one time. Oh wow. Well, at least you got yeah, the at least really? an interesting conversation. I'm like the fun size of one. <laughs> snack. <laughs> snack pack. <laughs> mm-hmm. But no, the fact that they're rewriting all of the red-haired characters is, I think, is clearly intentional. I mean, because we know they don't do anything by accident. But like we were talking about, uh, 
online, Drew, I don't exactly know why other than to, to erase it. I mean, clearly, um, but what the, the end goal of that is, is a little bit elusive to me. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because there's definitely agenda, an agenda there. And it seems like they, they want to make uh, the white male the most hated person right now. And uh, I, I just feel like we're going through this type of a transition right now where they want everyone to look at the white male as the Antichrist. Mm. I think it'll be a female, actually, in my opinion. You do? Because everybody's talking about Antichrist lately. And, uh, you know, Elon Musk gets brought up. uh, Donald Trump gets brought up. I don't think that we have a character that's in the spotlight right now that is going to be the Antichrist. What do you guys think? I don't either, but I think it'll be a female because it's been so fixated on that it will be a male. And we see this weird, this tide turning into this like transgenderism movement. And if anything, it could be a a transgender female that will be the Antichrist. What do you guys feel about people saying that it's AI? Uh, The AI is the Antichrist because it's something that we can't live without. It's something that we all embrace, right? It, It kind of all has the attributes of Antichrist. Well, there's a scripture, there's a scripture though, um, in revelation where it says the antichrist will die and then resurrect himself. And people will believe that he is the Messiah. He or she is the Messiah. So he gets a, he gets a head, a mortal head wound. Right. And and what happens is it says like, it says the, the, um, the man of sin, and then it says the son of perdition. So there's two separate. So what I believe happens is I think when he gets that mortal head wound, I believe that Satan, it be, you know, goes, dwells in him and, and, and takes him over his body. So I do believe that. And I think it's going to be a he, but who knows, but here's the thing. It's, it's like, it's two separate things. It's like the man of sin. And then it's the son of perdition. Now, if you look at, um, the 12 disciples, dang, I'm tripping. I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. It's getting too late. Um, if you look <laughs> on, at, um, on that note, Judas, I, okay, I, think Judas. Ta- I think we're tapping into so much good stuff here. And it is yeah. getting late for you guys. I know you guys jumped on super late, so I'm very appreciative. <laughs> let's car park this and let's yeah. make this happen again. Yeah, yeah, we need to. But let's do Judas, this another time. I'll, I'll finish my thought. So Judas is the only person in the Bible that ever was taken over by Satan, like indwelled. Satan indwelled in him, you know, and he was called the son of perdition. Now the Antichrist also gets called the son of perdition. So what I believe is uh, that there, there's going to be three and a half years of peace. Right. And then there's three and a half years is the last, last, the, the tribulation. Right. So what I believe is he's the man of sin in the beginning and he's peaceful. And then he gets that mortal head wound. And I believe Satan and dwells into his body, or he can actually technically be the seed of Satan because in Genesis 3:15 it says that he's going to be, you know, thy seed is going to bruise thy heel. Uh, God says that, that your seed is going to be bruised. And if you talk about fallen angels having sex with humans, they have seeds and Satan has a seed. So it could literally be Satan having sex with a woman, a fallen angel having sex with the woman and having his actual seed, literal seed. And it could be the final Nephilim. This is all coming from a, a book of, uh, Ryan Peterson is an amazing book, an amazing author, but Think about it, dude. It could be his literal seed, but I believe that Satan actually uh, possesses his body and that's how it comes back. Or it could be a clone, anything like that. Who knows, man? We don't know, but 
It gets interesting, but yeah. Uh, okay, listeners, that's your homework between now and the next show. I want you all to go out there, research the possibility of an Antichrist. How do you think it's going to come back? And in what form? All right, let's go around. Catalyst, we have to start with you, my friend. Sorry we couldn't get around to too much of you today. Guys, I'm really sorry for being late. My dog ate some bad stuff, and I've been at the uh, hospital with her all day, and uh, she is laying in my bed. Thank God she is going to be okay. So anyways, Mm. uh, it is awesome to be on here with you guys. I'm sorry I only caught the last 10 minutes, but uh, you can find my podcast uh, everywhere except for YouTube and Spotify, because I've been kicked off of those places. Okay, next in line, Julia. Hi, I'm Julia, and I have the Cosmic Peach podcast. I'm on Apple, Spotify, wherever. And um, Drew's been on my show several times, and he crushes it without fail. And I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Drew. No problem at all. All right, Operation Red Pill. Gentlemen, who wants to take it away? Thank you, Jason. Oh, are you muted? Okay, I guess I'll take it then. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for having us, Drew. Um, Anybody can find us at ORP Podcast. So Spotify, ORP Podcast, Apple Podcast, ORP Podcast, ORPpodcast.com. And uh, yeah, it was a pleasure being here. This was great. Thank you. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Josh. And uh, my show is Josh Monday Christian and Conspiracy Podcast. And uh, my YouTube is Josh Monday Music and Podcast. We're on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, all the all the podcast distributors. Um, we have roundtables similar to this, you know, we have like, you know, the book of Daniel, we have revelation. We have, we just had Robert Breaker on last night. He's amazing, uh, amazing theologian. And, uh, you know, I'll be releasing that soon, but thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate it. And Drew has also been on my show and I've been on his show and he does, he's Mount Crushmore for sure. Uh, Julia is awesome. Catalyst Jones is awesome. Nice to meet you, Operation Red Pill. But make sure you guys share this podcast to as many people as you can. I believe I'm going to post it on my channel as well. And, uh, you know, just send me the video if you can and, and the audio. And then, uh, yeah, and, and I love Catalyst Jones, dude. He's awesome. And I love I love Julia, too. And uh, and I love Drew also. He's an amazing person. And, 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 and I, I like pray for the podcast real quick before we leave, if that's all right. Pray for the whole Yay. panel. Is that, is that cool? Yeah, let's do that. So, Father God, in the name of Jesus, you are the reason why we're even here right now. This is a Christian coalition, but it's a conspiracy coalition. We're here to expose evil, Lord. We appreciate everything you do for us, each and every individual on this podcast right now, and each and individual that is listening to this podcast right now. We ask that you break any chains they have, or if they're right now their faith is lacking a little bit, we need you to just shake them up and, and wake them up and let them know that you are the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings. The most awesome and amazing. We we got to touch on the Antichrist and all these little things, these Nephilim and all these little things you could flick off like bugs, Lord, because you are the, the most mighty and awesome. And we appreciate you. Anybody that's listening, like I said, if they have a tobacco, if they have drinking, uh, smoking weed, doing meth, uh, any type of thing, please, Lord, we'd ask you break those chains. Any demons that try to latch onto this podcast right now and trying to fight what we're saying right now. Flick them off like bugs, Lord. We love you so much, and we appreciate everything you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And I've been your host for today, Drew Misson from Your Missing the Point podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. This was amazing. What a stellar panel, and we need to do this again soon. See you, everybody. See See you.